to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. If I look at where economic growth is being driven, it is absolutely an economic imperative that we're able to be more innovative and part of the solution to that is being more diverse. Today, Karina Paracella chats with MYOB's Tim Reid on diversity as a business and economic imperative. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Tim, it's so great to have you with us for Blue Notes. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Karina. Awesome. So, Tim, you've stated that businesses will, well, Australian businesses will fail to succeed unless they create more inclusive and diverse workplaces. Why is that? Yeah, so I would broaden it out and I think businesses will fail, um, but particularly in Australia, I think we need to drive more innovation in our businesses. When you start to look at what does it take to really drive innovation, if you don't have diversity, if you have the uniformity of thought within the people who are trying to achieve different outcomes, the chances that you're going to end up anywhere different than where you've started are quite small. By getting diversity into teams, um, you challenge the way teams operate, you challenge the way they think. People bring different experiences to the workplace and that does broaden the overall perspective that that team has when tackling what might be you know, a problem that's been looked at 10 times before but is nonetheless still a customer pain point. Mm. And, and so diversity really just adds to the richness of voices and therefore increases the range of possibilities and the breadth of thinking that a team have when they're tackling a problem. Mm. Sure, and that actually to me sounds like an economic imperative and not just a nice to have because you talk about creating better customer solutions, doing things better. And at the end of the day, that's got to have uh, commercial and bottom line improvements, I suppose. Absolutely. It, look, to me, innovation is a commercial imperative. Um, and, you know, it can be an overused word today, uh, but I think it always has been. You know, the need to continue to find better ways to do things, the need to be able to think about how can you serve your clients more quickly, more seamlessly, make it less you know, less pain involved in them mm. dealing with your business has always been something that differentiates one competitor to another. The ability to be able to make decisions quickly so that they can get on with their business. Uh, the ability to be able to service them at a low cost so that you can deliver that you know, at a good price point. Those things have always been imperative in business, but in a world that's changing increasingly rapidly, then they become even more imperative. In a world that isn't based on physical assets, but is based on intellectual property and services, then they become even more imperative. Mm. So if I look at where the world's going, if I look at where economic growth is being driven, it is absolutely an economic imperative that we're able to be more innovative and part of the solution to that is being more diverse. Right. Now on the topic of gender diversity in tech and in businesses, we've seen the Australian Federal Government recently announce their second round of funding for women in entrepreneurship and STEM grants. I know that this is something that MYB have commended. How do you think this type of approach from the government changes the game? Yeah, so gender diversity is very important in tech um, and it doesn't exist. It's, it's one mm. of the areas where we're really lagging in terms of gender diversity. And so I think what the government has done and the reason that we commended it is it's raising the profile of this as an issue. 
And before you can solve a problem, you've first got to agree that there is a problem. Mm. You have to put a spotlight on it and say, all right, there is something that needs to change over here. And so I think the first thing the government does, or the government's program does, is to put that spotlight on it. Secondly, it also puts a spotlight on some of the positives. So it starts to highlight some of the stories where women are being successful in tech, where there are successful women entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's often been said, you can't be what you don't see. Mm. And so if we're not highlighting the fact that actually there are many women who are succeeding with entrepreneurial tech ventures, then we're not going to engage and ignite the the, the, the excitement and the dreams of other women who just don't think that that's a possibility for them. So I think the government's sort of both highlights a problem, but also highlights some of the success stories in overcoming that. And I think that's a, a, a good first step mm. in, in tackling what is a very broad and systemic issue that is going to take a multifaceted approach mm. to really change the game on. Absolutely. Now, you're a passionate change maker in this space, and you've also established a program with MYOB called Develop Her. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a male champion of change, um, which um, means that I'm committed to looking at gender diversity in our organisation and thinking about what is preventing um, gender diversity flourishing and having a, a better contribution and better representation within MYOB between men and women. And there's a sort of a number of things that um, you sign up to as a male champion of change, but one is really to go into your organisation, have a hard look and work out what needs to change so that there can be better gender diversity. Within our organisation, uh, when we look at the different parts of our team, the one where we have the least gender diversity is in our engineering, our software engineering team, uh, which is predominantly male. And as you look through the hierarchy or the management layers there, you know, is overwhelmingly male. Um, and so we had a look at that and that's a challenge for us because somewhere in the order of sort of 17 to 20% of computer science graduates are women, um, but over 80% are still men. So mm -hmm. the pipeline of talent that's coming through in that field is overwhelmingly male. And if we want to change the profile of, of those skills and talents in our organisation, we can't rely on the pipeline that's just coming through universities. So we've spoken a lot about the need for diversity and that's all types of diversity, diversity of thought as you said earlier. Um, and then we've talked about some practical examples. Just to end, it would be wonderful if you've got any other tips for companies, large and small, of how to actually design for diversity, how to create those workplaces that we've described. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we often talk about the upside of diversity, but the, the, the corresponding point is it brings challenges. Uh, there is no doubt that it is more challenging to manage a diverse team mm. because you have the strength of sort of the, and the richness of different thought processes going in. That actually means that all of a sudden there are lots of different voices, people who believe the priorities should be different to one another, etc. And that takes um, more time as a manager and um, frankly a more adept manager to be able to, to reconcile all of that and get the positive outcomes. So the first thing I would say is there is no point in having a diversity agenda if you don't have an inclusiveness agenda. Um, if you aren't working proactively to educate all team members around how you have to act and how you have to behave to be inclusive, then diversity will fail. Because what will happen is you'll bring in some of the um, diverse talent and then the system will reject it. Mm. The antibodies will go against it and will say, will you conform and be who we are or 
you know, we're not going to engage you in the same way. And that's human nature. And it's, you know, it's a sad reality, but it is a reality. Uh, it doesn't have to be the case, but what it means is you have to be proactive in terms of your inclusiveness. Um, so, you know, unconscious bias training is probably the, the, the most foundational layer there, and it's the best place to get started. Um, it was certainly insightful for me when I went through the unconscious bias training, just to sit back and reflect on the fact that everybody has biases. You know, we all bring experiences to bear, and those experiences play into our decision making. But those experiences are ours. They're not a uniform um, representative um, set of experiences that go across the whole community. They're unique to us and it's what makes us who we are and it's what makes us diverse. But if, if you don't start with uncon unconscious bias training and don't start with an inclusiveness program, then I think the, the diversity efforts that you have mm. are likely to, to founder. And, and, and that's, you know, that's not a good outcome for anyone involved, for the individuals or for the team. Mm. So that would probably be my, my one sort most of important. key, most important piece of advice. It makes sense. be proactive in terms of inclusiveness agenda and particularly in terms of unconscious bias training. Absolutely, because a lot of it is about that awareness, creating that awareness and then setting the tone for, for diversity. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tim, for the inspiration and those wonderful tips. Really appreciate you talking with us on Blue Notes. Great to be here. Great to be with you today. Cheers. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes on Air.